Welcome to Aim High, Grammar Kingswood's alumni podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear from the voices of students, alumni, staff, and faculty who embody the values of the Cranbrook community. This episode is brought to you by alumni.fm, a CK alum podcast production company with a mission to connect people through stories. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, I'm your host, Kadir Muhammad, and today we have the amazing Brooke Ballard. Thank you for joining the show, Brooke. I really appreciate you for doing this. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, so Brooke, you graduated in the class of 2016. That's how we met. That I did with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Same class. That's how, we be, that's how we're actually really good friends for the listeners at home. Like we met our freshman year. In the most embarrassing way possible. When I was like a stupid freshman who didn't know how to talk to freshman boys. Freshman in math class. So I saw you and I was like, oh my gosh, he's cute. So I went, you're the one who likes Tyler, right? Oh my gosh. I I'm still embarrassed by that. And that blossomed into our friendship. So it was a beautiful thing. Here we are. Six years later. Yeah, that's so crazy. Time flies. But yeah, so Brooke, uh, tell us about yourself. What are you doing right now? Like, where are you living? What do you do for work? All that fun stuff. Yeah, from Michigan. Been in Michigan my whole life until I went out to California for college. I went to a school called Chapman University. It was a small liberal arts college. Majored in broadcast journalism and documentary. Knew I wanted to be in film kind of my whole life, which is so not a Cranbrook thing. I wanted to go and pave my own way. And now for work, I am an associate producer on two shows called Below Deck Mediterranean and Below Deck Down Under, which should be premiering in March, which is exciting. Oh, shameless plug. I definitely hear all about that. Shameless plug. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So when you went to college, in California, you said you majored in broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. Why that specific major? Why not anything else? Like, I'm not really sure what the other options are. I'm not really educating like your field. Like film production or something? Yeah. yeah. So how come um, you chose broadcast journalism? I knew. So it's funny how my career in my mind progressed. It started as me watching movies and using that as my escape and when I'm bored, it was just what I loved. It's just movies were my passion. So I thought that's what I was going to do. And then I remember watching Planet Earth when it first came out. Yep. And I was like, done. That's what I'm doing. You're an animal lover. I'm an animal lover. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I could be around animals all day without having to do a veterinary degree, I am in. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how that progressed. It was like, how can I make my own Planet Earth? And that was broadcast journalism. I looked at David Attenborough's entire bio and decided that was it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a a crazy process because I didn't start there, really. I started with film studies, which was more like the theory behind film, and then slowly moved into documentary. So you kind of like study like how films were essentially like what makes a good plot and like how you build a good like documentary or like story. or Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say that would be like for like those youngins out there that are like following in your footsteps? Because I'm sure there are plenty of Cranbrook students who don't want to pursue like what you might traditionally assume or associate Cranbrook students doing like, you know, medicine or law or business. What would you like advice would you give to them? Would you say? You're probably, I can tell you only what I know in my experience at Cranbrook. And that was, I felt like such an outcast for what I wanted to do. Everybody wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor or or business something actually important. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're doing is important too. Like Planet Earth isn't like a ground shaking like documentary. 
what advice would you give to Cranbrook students who may not be going down the typical like Cranbrook student like path, like those who are doing something different out of the norm or something that you're not expected of Cranbrook students? The advice that I would give people that are paving their own way and might not be a part of the norm is just keep at it. There are so many people who don't follow that normal Cranbrook path and end up being extremely successful. And that doesn't mean if you're not in business and you're not a doctor or a lawyer and you're finding yourself not getting that 32 on the ACT, don't beat yourself up. That's not what you're meant to do. Go and do what you want to do because at the end of the day, if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to be successful in it anyway. So just you might as well go do what you want to do and be successful in that. Yeah. Like my, my dad always told me like, son, don't worry about what you're going to do in life. You just got to focus on what you're passionate about and the money will come later. Mm -hmm. You know, once you're like honing your skill, you, then like eventually you'll start making money off of it in some way, shape or form. That's what my dad said to me. Do what you love and the money will follow. Exactly. And I think hopefully we're going to be a testament to that. Still young, but hey, we're already pretty. We're paving our way. Yeah, exactly. I remember being in like drama class maybe like my senior year, like advanced acting. Oh, who was the teacher for that? Oh, that was Mr. D. Dubrovich. Yeah, Dubrovich. He was my advisor too. He was the homeboy. I, I really appreciate him. He was different. And the school. I remember the school hating him for that, for being really? <laughs> kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Like he would get in trouble all the time. Oh, he always spoke his mind. I know. I love that. And I think a lot of us needed a role model like that, like a teacher like that who wasn't going off of the rule book and said, you know what? Hey, be yourself and go do you. And I'm glad that I had teachers like that were able to say, you know what? You're going to California and you're going to go and get your liberal arts degree. Good for you. Like power to you. Power to you. Yep. Good stuff. I know that Cranbrook, even though like it is mainly like it's huge on like writing, English, science, history and all that stuff, like the academics portion. But I think oftentimes like we often forget how we're pretty big on like art, the arts and crafts and like the musics and the arts. And I know we did band class in like middle school. That was like one way to artistically express yourself. But I remember like being in high school, like people were just expressing, there are so many talented artists when you had uh, Mr. Reed for painting or drawing. He's one of the best artists I've, I've ever met. How do you say Cranbrook helped influence your like creative thought process in that sense? <laughs> I have a confession to make. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, you said band class in middle school, and my mind immediately went to sixth grade. I played the bass clarinet and played as a very the soft, only bass clarinet. soft term because I broke my instrument. Like, we used to, oh yeah, no, this is bad. It's an expensive instrument, and I do not recommend people do this. But there was a couple people who just faked injuries. Like, I would go to CVS and, like, buy those, like, finger casts if you had broken your finger. Yeah. We would buy those and just go into band class. So you can't play the clarinet or bass clarinet. Oh, can't play the bass clarinet. I broke my pinky finger. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And then I walked in and I pretty much bent one of the, the keys so much that I couldn't play it. do my like final project. Just horrible. I don't know what it was about that class that I didn't like, but... We were middle schoolers playing instruments that we didn't choose to play. Right. That was probably the problem was I didn't want to play bass clarinet. They made me play, play bass clarinet and out of defiance, I broke exactly. it. You can't tell middle schoolers so. to do anything they don't want to do. 
No, which is what I was like. The only really risky thing I did as a kid going to Cranbrook, you learned to be such a wool follower. And I never wore leggings and I never did. Yeah. Like it scared me. So I'm glad I got at least like one rebellious thing in when I was at Cranbrook, but that was it. Okay. So how would you say like in general, like Cranbrook as a whole, like hope, like hope forming your creative process? Because I know you were like in arts. You were, weren't you doing acting in high school? And like oh, stagecraft yeah. and Major all that acting. stuff? How do you say that kind of helped you develop like your thought process for what you're doing now? Because I feel like what you're doing now is a very creative process and the create, you guys come at it from different angles. Could you like explain to me like your thought process and all that stuff? Yeah, definitely. Being a TV producer, you're definitely having to think on your feet and you're a leader and you're definitely, you have a lot of creative control. And what was really fun was I've known that I wanted to do that for a while. Back then it was directing, but now it's story producing. And Mr. D had this great idea of every spring having a, a fall show where three students or however many it was, three or four, would direct a little like play act. And it was such a great outlet for me to figure out if that's what I wanted to do, what kind of director or producer I would be. And it was definitely just a great way to solidify that was the career path that I wanted to take rather than finding out too late or because I could have gone to college and then realized later that, oh, man, maybe I don't like doing this. But he really gave us the outlet to figure out what we wanted to do in the creative field of theater and drama and the arts. And it was just I give him a lot of credit for that. And then to say for Cranberg as a whole, I tell my parents this all the time to make sure I'm like listen just because I went creative doesn't mean you made the wrong choice of schools like Cranbrook was the school for me because the amount of it wasn't okay could I do a 10th grade math test right now absolutely not at 1000 percent that's just basic no. geometry but it was god <laughs> no are you kidding I'm in TV so Katoa it's a little you got your triangles so 180 degrees right angles <laughs> scalene isosceles you know what yep I know how to use a calculator and it's about I mean, it. now that we're in the real world, uh, that's pretty much all you need. Right. Tips. I know how to calculate a tip. I got it. But do you know how Python's theorem? Um, a squared plus B squared equals C squared? <laughs> you know what? That's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but in all seriousness, it was the, the discipline that I learned while being there. That's a really good point. Especially with someone, I have what they call high functioning anxiety. And Cranberg really helped me hone that in and figure out you can't procrastinate anything at Cranbrook. It is done the day up and you send it in as fast as you can. Like it is go, go, go. And it really helped me learn how not to procrastinate or if I were to procrastinate, do it really well or how to work smarter, not harder. Exactly. And you know what? There wasn't time to have anxiety about a project because you had so many other things going on that now that I'm in the real world, I'm really able to focus on what's important at work and prioritize and schedule and have normal life skills that at another school, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to have such an amazing uh, education because that's what it was about. It wasn't math tests. It was an education on life and how to be successful. And on that note, it was asking for help. A lot of, I know you can attest to this. We really had great relationships with our teachers. That's true. Because it was a small class size. So like it was a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction if you ever needed oh, it. Oh yeah. If you learn quick that if you needed help on something or if you needed more time on something to not be afraid to ask. And that's been really helpful in my career, having 
such great bonds with my bosses and my executive producers. I have no fear or problems going up to them and saying hi or anything. And I think that's just because of Cranbrook and having that relationship with our teachers was so important. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that you just brought up because now that I'm like reflecting and looking back on it, there have been so many times where I met with a professor or like a teacher one-on-one and they helped me out with whatever I was going through. If it was like a history exam or if it was math or science or AP bio, they always like took time to help me out. I really appreciate that because when I got to college, I went to like Michigan State. So that's a very large university. Even though I went to the Lyman Briggs Science Program and that's a smaller college within the university, it was still a larger class size. And obviously professors had office hours, but there are a lot of other students who needed to go to the office hours. So you wouldn't get that one-to-one interaction as much. And subsequently, I wouldn't like start, I wouldn't ask for help as much because I would figure like, why would I ask for help? It's not going to be one-on-one. I just want to let them know that the jump from Cranbrook, at least, to a bigger university, you're not going to get that one-on-one experience. I think Cranbrook coddled us in that sense. That's not the real world, essentially, or at least in university. See, that's where you went to Michigan State because of the vet program, where I was able to have a little bit more liberty. Yeah. So I was like, I will have a class size of 30 people or less. Exactly. Like, I am making sure that I have that uh, relationship with my teachers that I had in high school, because otherwise I would have, who knows? Exactly. Because like my class know. size was 200, sometimes 300, oh, see, 400. that's insane. But I'm sure Cranbrook did allow you, like you weren't like scared to talk to your teacher if you needed help. I'm sure if when you needed it. I would ask for it. Absolutely. For sure. And that also like what you said earlier about the discipline is also another big factor because Cranbrook also, I feel like whether you wanted to or not, no matter how stubborn and resilient you were, Cranbrook is going to instill discipline in you in one shape or another. Because you had like what, 30, 45 minute like homework loads for each class and you're taking what, six classes? Maybe. If you're lucky, if it's a light day. Yeah. So if it's a light day, exactly. And then on top of that, I had sports. I played. Yeah. You, you know, have your extracurriculars. Yeah. You're band, you got to practice your instrument. That's four to six right there. And then you do homework from six to 10 and start the whole day over again. I know that once you think about it, high school, that's crazy. Cause you really woke up at like six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, start school at eight. You know, what's funny. I just had that thought today. I woke up at eight 45 this morning and I was like, Man, in Cranbrook, I was waking up at two hours earlier than what I'm currently doing. Absolutely. And then you'll be in classes learning a bunch of different new materials and different subjects. And then you'll do sports after that. And then after that, you'll go home and mm-hmm. do homework from like, you get home at five, from five to 10. I remember someone, someone came into our seventh grade class. This was seventh grade. And it was Mrs. Yeager's class. And it was the most difficult class I've ever had. And a college student walked in and it was like this big girl. Oh my gosh, it was, she's beautiful and intimidating. And she walked in and thanked Mrs. Yeager for being the hardest class she's ever had and will ever have in the seventh grade. Like she went through high school. She went through college. And she decided that's the hardest class after college. That was the hardest class. That was the hardest one. For me, it was junior year of high school. I think junior year was the hardest. I, I think I agree. Yeah, because you're like deciding about schools and, on, and just the workload. And you, I think that was when I was most terrified of my GPA. For some reason, like when I'm thinking about my hardest like academic year, I'm not thinking about Cranbrook. I'm thinking about my third year of junior year in college because I was taking biochemistry that year along with like genetics. That semester kicked my butt. But no, it's crazy. Socially speaking, I thrived that year. Academically speaking, I didn't do too hot. So it was like an inverse relation. Mm-hmm. 
which was kind of unfortunate. But I had a great time that year, though. I was going to say, I don't feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for myself That's either. A, hey, in college, you decide what you're going to take, okay? Exactly. <laughs> More or less. Like, you decide what your major is, and then you decide what you're going right. to take from that. Yeah, I was taking Documentary 101. Oh, that sounds nice. And, yeah, I was learning how to use a camera. That's actually a great... Going to the Emmys. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember seeing on your story. Rehearsals and... Yeah, that school did, did a lot for us, and the connections it, it gave us were really something. If anybody's looking into liberal arts, more film-related degrees, and wants to go out to California, I would recommend it. Can you tell us about like your college experience in that sense, and like how your college experience helped shape you into be, into being the woman that you are right now, like a successful film producer? Oh, stop it! How to be a successful <laughs> TV producer? It actually high school wasn't that easy for me. A floater kid didn't really have a big group of people that I connected with. It was very individual. And I was really excited to socially grow in college and have that restart. Like I was a lifer at Cranbrook. I knew the same people since I was three. Yeah. It was time for a change. And I was excited for that. And then I went, I joined a sorority, which I don't know, helped or hindered. I, to this day, I don't really know. Yeah. Because it was a great way to meet people outside of my uh, film college. But those people were sorority people who, again, weren't my people. And it was, again, very individual and never really had a group of girls and that whole thing. And it wasn't until I graduated was when I realized maybe I just am more concerned about my individual connections with friends. And that kind of helped me grow as a person that that was where I was. How do I put this? Allowing myself to be who I am. And and that goes along with work. I had this job, which wasn't the best job for me, turns out. My boss was a tyrant. We were working, I want to say, 60 to 70 hour days a week. And it was, he was just grueling. And I really wanted to work there because it was for Discovery Channel. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I just had to look in the mirror and say, like, my, I'm going crazy. Like, I just need to do what makes me happy. And that turns out is reality TV. Who knew? That's awesome. Let's jump from like what you initially like majored from. Like, weren't you majoring in like broadcast journalism? And now right now you're doing reality TV? Absolutely. Reality TV. Because someone gave me some great advice not too long ago when I was trying to decide if I should leave that job or not. Because it was my dream job working on the show I was working on and working for Discovery Channel was the, the path I wanted to take my whole life. You don't work for the show. You don't work for the company. You work for your boss. And that was something that I think I needed to learn the hard way. Yeah. And now I work with phenomenal people on a great show. It's pretty much I'm a professional tea spiller. Yeah. It's just I'm a, I'm a professional gossiper now. Okay. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad to hear that. I guess my next question for you in that regard is, let me backtrack a little bit. Like the way that I go about my life, living my life is like, you know, passion and purpose. And then once you find that you're truly happy in your life, right? For me speaking, my passion are animals, right? I love taking care of animals. I want to help save the planet to some extent. And my purpose is, you know, helping others in any way, shape or form. So when I combine that, I'm like, what would allow me to do like, you know, my passion and purpose and like veterinary medicine. And then from there, I can figure out where I'll go in life, right? That's like the next phase for me. But for you, like your passion is obviously film producing, TV, multimedia, that kind of stuff. But what do you say like your purpose and 
life. And if you don't have the answer to this question, you don't have to answer it. But I just, I'm You're curious. You're just really going in for the gut. I see you, Pierre. I'm fine. curious <laughs> because I've, I've been like watching your, like, your growth and your development. So I'm like curious. I like, what's like the long-term goal for you? What's your like ultimate dream right now? So I remember earlier we talked about planet Earth and National Geographic and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a great question because it's something I'm still learning. Even because I'm only, we're only 23. Yeah, it changes. Uh, we don't have to have it all figured out right does. now. No, I love that question because over time it has changed so much. But the one thing that has stayed consistent is the field. And that's something that I don't think will ever change. And I don't think that my my goals or ambitions with a Planet Earth style documentary is to change either because at the end of the day, what I'm really passionate about is the environment and nature and animals just like you. But I want to do it in a way that I can educate the masses yeah. um, and educate the public on what we can do individually. Or if there's a corporation that needs a kick in the butt with a documentary, that's a great way to get people involved. That's where I see my path going. And right now, it's just about making those connections and getting my name out there. And I also love, like, traveling. And then yeah. 23, working for shows that film in the Mediterranean in Australia. I'm not mad at that. I yeah, that would be amazing. That's like the dream come true right there. Traveling, right. doing what you love. I can't say where I've gone yet because the show hasn't come out yet. Oh, yeah. You know, shameless plug, watch it in, in June when it comes out. When does the show drop? Uh, Melodic Mediterranean season seven. Oh, they're all on Peacock and Bravo. Okay. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, they. It's a lot of fun and and traveling with people that you love and it's a big family and yeah, it's not a bad life. I'm not mad at it. Okay, so can I ask you a question about like your actual like job and career right now? Of course. Because earlier we mentioned like how you want to travel and like shoot all this different kind of stuff. When it comes to like your career right now, are you like the one behind the camera and you're like? messing around with the ISO and the aperture and like the shutter speed and the frames per second? Or are you like actually, you know, editing and posts and like color grading all your work and doing that so kind of stuff? So that's like an, and a director of photography or an editor. Me as a producer, I'm more like big picture story stuff. So I'm what you call an associate story producer. That's my full title. I went in the field. So I'm the one taking notes or if there's something going on that the director doesn't see, of blah, 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 and blah, 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 or talking about, oh, this person. Again, it's I'm a professional tea spiller. I tell the director, like, oh, like, this is going on, and then he'll get a camera over there, or I'll write, like, the bites that happen in reality TV. Like, you can see Kim Kardashian's face, and she's talking. Yeah, so I write those questions. I see what's going on in the field, and I write the questions for them to be asked later in an in interview. Okay. And then now that we're in post, our show is a little different where we shoot in the field for seven weeks. Okay. So it's 20, 24, seven, seven weeks of footage. I wish I could show you my drive. It's huge. Yeah, like, like how much storage is that? Oh yeah, it's huge. I feel like you need like, first off a heavy processor and like a spec'd out computer to be able to process you all do. that kind of stuff. It sounds like a jet engine. Jesus Christ. So what we're doing now is taking that seven weeks of footage into however many episodes are going to be in the season. Okay. So it's just cutting it down. We really don't do that much to to manipulate it, which is impressive. I know some some shows do. There's a story, and all we're really doing is helping that along and 
which is a lot of fun too. It's definitely a creative outlet. Has there like ever been times like where you're editing and posts and you're thinking, man, I wish I would have shot this or man, I wish we got this at a different angle or man, I wish I did this differently. Oh, 1000%, 1000%. And it will happen every time, but that's where because of seven weeks of footage, my job in the field is to write down everything that's happening. So I'm pretty much trying my best to make sure if someone like a, a higher up wants, oh, hey, can we see blah, blah, blah saying this? I want to see that. I can go in our software, type it in, be like, okay, blah, blah, blah saying this and see if we have it. And yeah, it makes it a lot easier. Especially now, this is my first year really doing post. I don't really do post. That's not really my thing. I'm not really an editor. I'm definitely more of a field person. Okay. Because it's a lot more picture. fun. It's all action. And yeah, I get to interact with the cast. And it's so much better when I did Shark Trek, like hanging out with William Shatner. You're like, okay, yeah, this is obviously what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning a lot just being in post, going back in the, I'm going to go back in the field hopefully soon to take what I've learned and use it to my advantage for the next time I'm in post to learn how to really do these notes. So that's my job. It's, it sounds boring to me. <laughs> like, no, it sounds you know, boring it's... to you? That sounds amazing. <laughs> like hanging out with all these celebrities and I'm telling people what to do and uh, I'm in charge of yeah. all of them. The cast is amazing, really. It does make it real. Like sometimes we think of televisions, this external, oh, these people don't really exist. And you think, I don't want to keep throwing out names but it's just a but lot you, of fun please do. To... can you like give us a list like, of people that you've worked with oh if it's God. like if you're allowed to <laughs> or some of your favorites at least sure. top five i'll tell you my top Ten. okay i'll tell you one okay i'll tell you one okay so this was at my old job and my my boss was in a meeting mm -hmm. and or in an interview and i'm waiting for the interview over and i just hear brip get in here and i was like Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Like, I thought I was in so much trouble. <laughs> like, I thought he was in the middle of this interview. So clearly something is wrong. Yeah. So I come in like fully panicking and I'm like, yes, is there anything I can do? Is there something wrong with the Zoom? And he goes, no, I just wanted you to meet somebody. And he turns the monitor and it's David Blaine. And David Blaine goes, oh, hey, Brooke, it's so nice to meet you. Like, you I'm sound so, jealous. so nice. Um, Here, can you do me a favor? And I was like, yeah, I was like, there's this new card trick that I've been trying out. It's like an interactive like Zoom. Now that we're like pandemic-y, like I'm trying to do like interactive quarantine friendly card tricks. Okay. So with the help of my boss, he practiced a few card tricks on me. Did it work? Which was, yeah, it did. No, David Wynn is freaky. Okay, that's impressive. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Did but he make yeah, a card disappear? You know what he did? And then it appeared it. next to him and he was in Paris. What? It was, yeah, it was like a whole thing. I can't that has tell to be you. a green screen effect or something. I don't even know. I'm just fully impressed. But it's fun things like that that makes my job a reality. And sometimes I get so in my own head about what I'm doing and especially working remote. It just, you start to get in your own head about these things. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's fun to talk about, to be reminded of your passion. Yeah, that's right. That I am in the right field. This is exciting and I love what I do. That's true, because I feel like sometimes you get so bogged down by like the details or the challenges that you're facing every day that you forget like how much fun you might be having in your field. So it's always nice to like, have a refresher. What are like some of the challenges that you in your career right now are facing? What would you say like is the hardest part of your job? Is it like the deadlines, the quotas? What would you say? You know what? 
I hate that my brain just went to this, but it's the truth. And I love you and I'm going to be honest. It's probably, even though it's 2022, it's, we still got a long ways to go. And dealing with the struggles of being a woman in a predominantly male field is tough. Yeah, it's when I got hired onto my previous job, they didn't think that I could go in the field because they were worried if I was going to get dirty. They're like, are you okay with that? Doesn't really seem like your thing. Yeah. You know, like, okay, like I'm blonde, but that doesn't mean that I am less like, capable. What do you mean? Yeah. Right. And it was just little things like that. Like when I decided to leave, my old boss said to me, you know, oh, like, is your boyfriend or your parents going to provide for you when you leave? I can take care of myself. Things like that, where you're like, excuse me. Yeah. Actually, the reason I'm leaving is because I got another job offer. I just didn't want to tell you that, buddy. So I'd say that has been certainly interesting. So is it like the male-female dynamic or is it like, or do like other females treat you like that also? No, I said it's mostly male to female, but it's about like recognizing when you're not being appreciated, which I didn't do. Yeah. So advice to anybody out there, recognize, exactly, know your worth and recognize when someone isn't treating you the way that you should be treated. And no matter what you think that they can do for you, whether that's a boss or a significant other or whatever, get there's someone out there who's going to treat you so much better. And I have amazing, we call ourselves a family because it's true. Like I love my boss now and we are super close. And I'd say that my first job, yeah. So that's hard when you said, when you asked that, I was like first getting into the industry which is hard to do to begin with yeah. because now it's they want interns with three years of experience already and you're like how so someone's got to take a, a risk on you mm-hmm. but then recognize when to get out of that exactly i think the pandemic strangely enough has shown people that like i don't need to work this job that's not treating me as well as i should be treated it's not paying me enough or it's not giving me the benefits that i need i'd rather go do anything else exactly i think a lot of people have been waking up to that reality now which is liberating in some extent yeah, life's too short to not do what you want to do. And I know that sounds selfish, but I think going to Cranbrook, I learned to bite my tongue and put my head down and roll with the punches. And I think that sometimes people need the advice of, hey, like, you're important too. Like, you can yeah. get what you want out of this. Like, you matter and like, you deserve to be heard and you deserve to do what makes you happy. Absolutely. Obviously, like, you're not going to be happy 24-7 in life. That's just not how life works. But, like, you deserve to pursue that happiness. I love that. Yeah. And then I guess the flip side to that point is, like, what are, like, some of the pros besides, you know, like, I bet you have amazing stories, right? Can you tell us oh, one of, of like, your Emmy stories or working yeah. with a celebrity? What's that? Spill well, the tea. <laughs> it is what I do for a living. I'd say it's the realization of... I, we grew up in Michigan. There's nothing there that's film related. It's an Eight mile. out of reach, right? It's an out of reach concept that I made a reality because of what I wanted to do. So what was fun for me was I didn't pursue what was easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go to Michigan and I didn't go to things that were already there and I left home and with no friends and I did that whole thing and to see all of my hard work be paying off right now is what's the most rewarding part of all of this because it wasn't an easy road and I am so glad that now 
I can comfortably say that I'm on the other end of it. It took a long time. It wasn't high school and it wasn't college. It was getting out of college and starting the career that I want that really got me to be where I am mm-hmm. and as happy as I am. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. So I remember like us growing up because we kind of essentially grew up together from like we like went to the same middle school, but we didn't really know each other. Like we saw each other in band. Right. That doesn't really count. And like in ninth grade, we met. Oh, and you know how band went now. So. Oh, yeah. For, forget about band. Like, forget about band. That, that was not for me, personally. <laughs> I played trombone. I was the only person playing trombone. Aww. Um, that's cool. It's all good. We essentially grew up together. So watching you like find yourself and go through this journey, I assume well before high school. Because you know, everyone in middle school feels like the odd one out. And then middle school, in high school, you like you want to make friends. You want to have that click. But for you to be like, you know what, like maybe these aren't my people. This isn't what I want to do. And for you to like take that and go to college and pursue like what you actually want to do and even change your mind. That's perfectly fine. But for me to watch you do that, it's just been like such a like pleasure. Oh, thanks, Boo. Of course. I love you. Oh. Me too. <laughs> I think that was probably the hardest part about college was I had this idea in my head when I left high school that you know what? Screw the career, bro. I'm going to go and I'm going to leave and I'm going to have an amazing time without everybody. And, you know, I'm going to make so many new friends and do this and do that. And then I got to college and it was the exact same thing. Yeah, it can be lonely sometimes. People too. don't change. People are people and they're going to yeah. be people no matter what. And That's right. Dad's favorite quote. He says, people are going to people. And I'm like, you're absolutely right, Dad. People are going to people. Uh, yeah. I love that because it's true. And it, yeah, it took me leaving leaving college to find now I can say I have some an amazing solid group of friends and you know I'm a, like I'm gonna be a bridesmaid next year and it's just oh really that's awesome I know kind of fun but yeah it's just the people that I've met along the way of my own journey it's been a whirlwind but a good one exactly that's part of like you know life you don't know you might have an idea of what the destination is going to be like but you don't know until you're finished with the journey because you've never been there. It's like, how would you know what it's like if you've never been there? Like you have images, like you think you know what you're going to get. You don't truly know until you get there. The best advice I got, I know we're really talking about advice from dads here. This seems to be our, our common, common theme. theme. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, band and, and dad since they're... <laughs> yep. But uh, the best thing he told me was, I remember I was... I'd say math and science were the hardest for me. English and history I enjoyed. Which makes sense and, because you're big on stories and I feel like uh, yeah, exactly. English. It's my job. Like that's of course. But I remember being so frustrated. I was in oh my gosh, Spanish. You and I went through Spanish together that whole time. Spanish three <laughs> with Senor Watson. Great man. Which I have I, a I had great a hard story time. about senior I have an amazing story about senior Watson after this. So mm-hmm. remind me. But yeah, my, my dad said that Brooke, like high school's not it and you're just gonna keep inclining. Like life isn't about peaks. It's just a steady incline and you're going to keep rising even through your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. And I'm, that's something that I'm taking hold of because it's true. Like it wasn't high school, it wasn't college. And, and now here we are and it's a slow progression. It's out. a slow incline. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I remember thinking like when I graduated high school, like, man, like once I'm 24, I'm going to have it all figured out. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. I'm going to like what have a nice career. Bro, that's the boldest lie I ever told myself Bold in my entire life. life. Because I'm thinking like six years from now, I'll be done with college. I'll be doing this. I'll be doing that. I'll be traveling. Blind optimism. And like I'm doing some of that to like an extent, but not as much as I thought I would be doing, which really shows you like how little 
you think or how much you don't really know all that much in high school. But you think you do. But you think you do, which is like a problem. Oh, man, like right now. Like, I think I know everything right now. And I guarantee you in 10 years, I'm going to be laughing at myself now. Like, exactly. It's just... As far as like the growth mindset, like you think you know everything right now until you're in a situation where you don't know anything. Yeah. It's just the nature of the beast. Exactly. But you said a little bit ago that you had a uh, story with Senor Watson. Oh, And for the course. listeners that don't know, Senor Watson was our Spanish teacher. Great man. Die hard. He was amazing. He just really wanted us to learn Spanish. And like little 15-year-old me was thinking like, oh, man, I got Spanish in the back. I was so wrong about that, too. Moral of the story is I'm a very wrong man. I don't know a lot of things in my life. And I keep on getting humbled like day in and day out. That's what this is. We don't know anything. Our dads know a lot. (laughs) Every Almost everything is scary. It's fine. (laughs) But uh, yes, so this was my senior Watson story. It's the best story that came out of high school. Yeah. Outside of, oh, my gosh, who was this? professor that hit me with a bat that sounds really bad out of context you know what i'm talking about (laughs) oh senor aravena because we have a pinata yes yes, it was a pinata and he threw in excitement tried to hit the pinata instead the bat slipped out of his hands and it hit me and it was hilarious that was our spanish four class or five h something like that but yes this was my this is my senior watson story really quick so i remember i was absolutely panicking i had three tests I think this was my, our junior year. And I remember I was absolutely freaked because we were about to have his tests, which at this point I was like, C minus, C. Bro, that was a hard class. I'm not even going to hold you. He taught yeah, me a no. lot. I know all the congregations and I still know them to this day, but it was a hard class. Lord, I don't remember it. <laughs> the flu's come perfecto? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so anyway... He ends up walking by me, which is, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's so embarrassing. Like, he's seeing me freak out for his test. And he says, what's wrong, Benita, which is my old Spanish name. And he sits down next to me, and I just start crying, like, bawling, crying, bawling, embarrassing, crying. I'm like, I'm just so stressed out. And, you know, I just have your test, and I'm just not getting it because I have this, and I have English, and I have this. And so he ends up absolutely panicking he sits down next to me says what's wrong benita which was my old spanish name and i end up just absolutely bawling just like dead crying it was so embarrassing and i'm like i just am so stressed out and i have your test and i'm gonna let you in on a little secret okay and he looks at me softly and says when you try your best and are you trying your best? I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely trying my best. And he goes, if you're trying your best and your best still isn't good enough, then F it. And I was so shocked because I had never heard, he didn't actually say F it. Yeah. <laughs> I had never heard a teacher swear in my entire life that it just hit me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like he's a genius. He's absolutely right. And I went in and I didn't get an A. I wish the story ended with me being, yeah, I got an A plus, but I didn't. Um, I failed. But I, I got another C. <laughs> but no, it was his encouragement of not, it wasn't the grade. It was the effort that I was putting in that mattered. Okay, and Senior I think, Watson. I know. It's something that I wish I heard in middle school is it's not the grade, it's the effort. If you're putting an effort, that's all people want to see and it's true to this day like even with my bosses right now if i my executive producer really wants a poll and i can't find it when i say it hey i spent two hours looking for this 
they're not going to be mad at me. They're just going to say, okay, yeah, then it doesn't exist and we can move on. Like it's real life in the real world and nobody's perfect. Yeah. And I think most people realize if you're a reliable person and you like my heart on the Bible and you're like, hey, man, I tried my hardest. I just still can't get it. People aren't going to fault you for that. Yeah. I think in high school and middle school and whatever, like in college too, like you don't fully understand that until like you're out there in the real world and you get like real world experience because at the end of the day, we're all human. Nobody's perfect. Like your bosses messes up. Your boss's boss will mess up. People yep. are imperfect creatures. Like we make mistakes. It's not that big of a deal. So in, in yeah. high school. And like your high seeing, school GPA doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't. Like I've never applied for a job and they're like, what's your college GPA? What's your high school GPA? Like GPA is only relative to academia. So obviously, like if you're struggling in school and you're trying to go to med school, it's going to be hard for you to get in, into med school. But grades aren't the most important thing. Like right now, I'm trying to apply to vet school. I have a decent GPA, but I feel like my experiences will help me. That's what I'm banking on, at least. I right. could be completely wrong here. I'm not in vet school yet, but I'm hoping that all my previous experiences while I was in college, I didn't like have time to study all the time. I was busy doing extracurriculars. And I think that's what really matters. So you got to put in effort and you got to show that you're a well-rounded person. And you just got to put in that effort. And life has a way of working itself out. And that's the truth. Trust the process of everything. And I can even say even, yeah, obviously my career doesn't matter what GPA I had. You know, they don't care. But even college, I only had three, three, four in, yeah, in high school. Good. Like it, but it wasn't like I remember freaking out because everybody else was freaking out about their I specifically remember talking to like some of our like people in our class. And I'm like, hey, like one bad score on a test isn't going to ruin your chance of getting into college. Like you're going to college regardless. Like we attend Cranbrook, you will be fine. But, like you don't need but to it's how out. we were raised. It was like, if you don't have excellent scores, know, if you're not marks, perfect. You're right. You're not going to get in anywhere. I guess what people don't understand is perfect isn't like objective. It's really subjective to the person. Like as long as you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And like my dad always tells me this too. He's like, as long as you're better than what you were yesterday, you're fine. Wow. Look at this. And I think a lot of Cranbrook students, like they have a timeline in their head. Or at least for me personally, I can't speak for all Cranbrook students. I can't even speak for all people. I know like people set a timeline on themselves. Like I said earlier, by age 24, I'll be doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm 24 now. And I'm like, oh man, like I got like 25% of the list when I was 18. Mm -hmm. But now by the time I'm 32, I'll be doing X, Y, and Z. So when I'm 32, I probably won't be doing X, Y, and Z. I'll probably be doing something completely different. And that's okay. Cause that's life. You just got to take it one day at a time. So true. I'm telling you, it's, if there's one thing that anybody can take out of this, it's if you try your best and it still isn't good enough. It's okay. Oh, you got I feel like we should end it on that positive and inspirational note. You got to inspire the youth to be inspirational. I love to see it. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us, Brooke. I really do appreciate you oh my gosh, joining this course. podcast. This was so much fun. And of course, it's always fun catching up with you. I love you and I've known you forever. So, This has been Aim High, Cramer Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find. For any feedback or guest requests, please send an email to robert at alumni.fm. Thank you so much for listening and catch you soon.